Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about life, theology, the church, and the culture. My name is Derek Rishmaui, and I'm joined by most of the cast and crew today, uh, Alistair Roberts and Matthew Lee Anderson. And today we're going to be kind of continuing a sort of an informal series we didn't, we kind of stumbled into, didn't realize we were going to, we were going to do, uh, sort of talking about the church, the church and her relations. Uh, we talked about the invisibility of the church the other day, and we were talking about kind of uh, the church situated in its locales and discernment. Uh, but today we want to take up the issue of uh, the doctrine of the spirituality of the church. Uh, there's been a bit of discussion about that around the web, and it's it's kind of um, just, well, what it, we want to talk about what is it, uh, do we buy it, and, and kind of how that should play out in the way the church operates in the world. And so uh, just for those who want a good little review article, we will post up the, the one that kind of sparked our idea for the conversation was Kevin DeYoung's uh, little piece up at his blog, Two Cheers for the Spirituality of the Church, and uh, kind of gives a little bit of a primer there. But to really get us into the, to the doctrine, uh, I wanted to pitch it to Matt uh, to kind of intro... <laughs> <laughs> Intro the doctrine. What is it? Why? Why? Why might it be useful? Why might it be a a, a problem? So, take it away, man. I I, I kind of feel like <laughs> that's making the wrong person do this job. Considering the spirituality of the church is a reformed ish doctrine, Derek. So I I feel like you should be the one who's accountable <laughs> it to is. explain it to the world. It um, is, but I kind of want to so, see you do it first. Yeah, uh, testing my knowledge here. So as I understand it. Uh, for listeners at home, the doctrine of the spirituality of the church is a doctrine about the politics of the church, um, a doctrine about the limits of the state's uh, authority and the limits of the church's authority. Uh, and it goes something like uh, the church has authority over matters religious over the soul, over matters invisible, uh, uh, affections, intentions, the sorts of things that uh, the state can't have access to, whereas the state has access, uh, has authority over actions, um, events, what people do outside of the confines of the church. Um, that's, that's, that's one way of framing one aspect of it. Um, it seems to come with a complementary uh, corollary that would say something like the church has the freedom. So in its original formulation, the church has the freedom to instruct the state as to its proper uh, ordering or governance so the church can preach or proclaim what the state should do, but the church can't, uh, as the, the idea developed, the church can't meddle in the state's affairs directly. So the church has a, a kind of limit to its action. It could announce what the state ought to be doing, but it couldn't engage in, say, direct action in order to uh, could bring the state in conformity with what it had proclaimed. Um, 
in that sense, the church's authority over the state is strictly spiritual. It's, um, it's, it, it allows the state to operate on its own terms uh, without, um, yeah, it allows the state to operate on its own terms, even while still proclaiming in word what the state should do. That's like the most generous reconstruction I can give of this doctrine. Generous reconstruction. Um, I think uh, yeah. one, one kind of simple formula that has... Um, is useful for me thinking about this, and I've I let you pitch it just because I'm, I'm I know I'm the Presbyterian guy, but I'm still kind of a ecclesiology noob. But uh, when it, part of it has to do with kind of what power you see uh, them wielding. So the church wields the word, the minister wields the the power of the word, uh, whereas the state wields the power of the sword. Uh, the 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 church itself never wields the power of the sword. It cannot wield the power of the sword. And, and at the same time, the state should not wield the power of the word. They, they can't administer the sacraments. They don't, they not issuing uh, theological proclamations. Um, and, and, uh, and you know, your, your, your local pastor is not, um, kind of commanding a, he's not the commander of a, a local church militia uh, is one way to put it in that sense. And so, um, this, the church cannot wield the coercive power of the state directly and the state can't like excommunicate somebody put it that way. Um, and then from there, and there are, and there are principles that follow from that and, and that kind of form that basis, but that's kind of like the, the quickest, uh, quickest explanation of the distinction of, in a sense, powers and realms and jurisdictions and that sort of thing. Um, so they may end up speaking to the overlapping same area of life, but they do so in distinct manners and they, and they uh, wield authority in distinct manners, one spiritually uh, and the other um, in a more, well, uh, coercive uh, state-based uh, way. And so that's the other way. It's an, another way of expressing the doctrine, uh, insofar as I've got it right. And and there have been developments since that we can talk about that. But that's, you know, Alistair, do you want to correct? And by the way, Andrew is. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry for. I'm sorry about this. I was a little late. I was going to ask the Alistair, an Alistair question. I would just love to know. Like, it it looks to this nonconformist like the Anglican Church can't possibly affirm all the things you've just said in the sense that the church was both established and continues to run with a sort of formal head, you know, Supreme governor of the church of England or even head of the church of England being uh, the monarch. So, you know, to what extent does what you've just been saying and the way that a Presbyterian has framed it different from a, a the sort of the Erastian debate and the way the Anglican church has set this stuff up. And I wonder if Alistair actually, you know, I imagine you're going to say you believe in it in some ways, but not in other ways, or maybe I don't yeah, generally, I generally hold to some doctrine of the spirituality of the church. I think when we consider the queen as the supreme governor of the church, she's someone who protects, she's as it were the chief worshipper. She's the one who protects the church in its um, in its well-being, who provides the sort of hospitality of the nation to the church, that sort of thing. And in that respect, there's nothing, I don't think, inappropriate about that. Um until 200 years ago, the Bishop of Durham had his own private army and it was used during that period. Um, so maybe that's 
stepping over some line somewhere or other. But the prince's bishop. I think right? a, cu- a couple, <laughs> yep. just a couple, just a couple lines here and there. <laughs> that, was just, the just, most, just a, that was the most British slightly maybe that stepping over a few lines <laughs> kind of, uh, might have might have scattered a bit of dust when we're thinking about the spirituality of the church I do wonder whether at points we're equivocating between the spirituality of the Christian message the idea that um, Christianity speaks just to a certain set of things to do with the soul and things like that doesn't speak to certain areas of politics. And the other question, which is one of jurisdiction, um, the relationship between the church and the state as polities and jurisdictions. And that equivocation is something that I think we need to be clear on because there are points where I think the gospel speaks in different ways or the word of God speaks in different ways to the ministry of the state and the ministry of the sword and the civil magistrate. It does speak to that. And there are ways in which we can address Christian truth to that realm. But I believe it's addressed differently than the way that the minister of the gospel addresses the word of God to the conscience of the hearer. Do you think, do you think there is anybody who, Uh, Well, I'm sure there is. Who disagrees with the very nuanced version of the spirituality of the church that I think Derek was just describing and that you would find expressed by careful, thoughtful Presbyterians? You know, the the role of the church and the role of the state are fundamentally different and the church needs to speak to the state and to challenge it and to inform the state how to behave, but is not responsible for actually executing it. Where today do you find perhaps within Protestant circles, where do you find people who disagree with that? Or, and I just, I'm just i trying to work out, is this a bit of a straw man? Like, are we, are we saying something that everybody agrees and the, and the differences are all about application and whether or not something has strayed over a line? I know we just joked about having a private army, but today I, I presume there's nobody well, who's actually going there in Protestant circles, is there? Or is there? Well, in, in Protestant circles, maybe not, but the, the I mean, I was going to say, integralism is, you know, the, the, the recent rise in, in Roman Catholic integralism, that, that debate is actually, that's, it's uh, alive and well now in Roman Catholic circles. Um, and, you know, you can, you can read uh, Roman Catholic conservatives versus more of the Roman Catholic radical traditionalists arguing about uh, the, their, you know, relation and kind of the development of, of, of Roman Catholic doctrine, which, you know, whether or not that fits Newman's theory or not, but whether or not the the, the church should have a, an army or, or or should be able to punish uh, heresy by the sword and that sort of thing. Um, but but Derek, uh, it as, is as only alive power. on a theoretical level, right? There's no <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, th- yeah, obviously it's it's larping, but um, it's still alive as a as a. As a well, I suppose that's what I'm asking. Like, it, is it really that it, that in if you sat down every Protestant we know, they would all agree formally with the way that you expressed it? But but there is a, still a significant difference in application and where we would regard something as crossing a line, or are there actually people saying no 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 I I think we I don't believe in the spirituality of the church like that's what I'm trying to get to is 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 it a blunderbuss like as in, within Protestantism now it's just taken for red because of the way the world is and because of our theological heritage and so actually what you need to do to get into to, to clarify on this issue is not so much to debate the principle but to get into issues of practical application and then work out why people land in such different places because they clearly do in practice I'm just wondering whether that's governed by a theoretical difference or not I'm not sure I agree with it as stated. Yeah, wait, wait, hold on. Oh, we have, hang we have on somebody a on this podcast who, who, who <laughs> Matt doesn't, doesn't agree necessarily. with it. 
Matt wants his bishops to have armies. Is that what we're, mean, is, that, is Matt uh, look, signing up? Yeah, come on. No, it, look. It, so one major question is, what's the, what's what's the limit of non-interference or non-meddling? Right. So if the proclamation of the word is limited to, for instance, the pastor on Sunday. Um, proclaiming what the state should do to uh, the church militant, to the army of the faithful who are then um, tasked with being good democratic citizens. I think that's probably too narrow an understanding of the church's political responsibility um, to speak as the church to the state. Um, uh, Do I think that the church, for instance, should uh, deliberately protest uh, uh, morally bad actions that the state is undertaking in order to shut down the operations or governance of the state temporarily, such that the state does not do that. Yeah, I think that's 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 the right kind of interference in the state's operations by the church, right? Like there there are directly, in a very broad sense, political means of the church exercising its ministry of the word over the state that I think it should have recourse to um, rather than just being limited to the, uh, the proclamation of the word in sermon. So I, you know, this is why I said, so I think never, I might disagree with it. Well, cause I don't you, know when whether you say that the does. church should. So when you're saying the church should do X, Y, and Z, um, now we have to ask, okay, what do you mean by the church? Right, because are you talking the church qua institution or the church as an organism? Should Christians be doing X, Y, and Z? Or should, you know, uh, the session and elders of, you know, Second Presbyterian Nashville or whatever, or, you know, the First Episcopal, you know, I don't know, I can't even think where they are. But uh, you, you, whatever, up the street, uh, should they, in their in their in their full episcopal authority, um, uh, march down to the state house and I don't know, interrupt a I don't know a city council session? A deliberation. Yeah. Let's let's just let's just choose a hypothetical. Let's just say a state is deliberating about a law that would um, functionally permit neonatal euthanasia, what would be the right, equivalent just, of an infanticide? Should right. the, should the, <laughs> you know, right, pastors you march down? Um, just hypothetically, maybe if a country had states that were deliberating about these things. Um, right. Yeah, I, I absolutely think okay. that um, the, you know, uh, the priests, the pastors in full religious garb and with their full authority should march down to the state house and tell the politicians no and disrupt and meddle the operation meddle in the operations of the government to the fullest extent possible as yep. representatives of the church. Now that question then I guess at that point you're we're we're still discussing whether or not that constitutes uh, you know, using um, civil and coercive power, uh, or if that's still ministerial and declarative power, if that's if that's like you know, on the basis of the word of God, I'm declaring to you 
This is contrary to his laws, and you will suffer judgment on the day uh, if you enact such vile but and this godless is, things. And but so, Derek, that's I mean, partly why that, I, d- I disagree with the doctrines just stated as such, right? Because it seems to put the rhetorical pressure on um, against, or the rhetorical way against action in these cases, because you're constantly anxious about whether what you're doing is overstepping the church's boundaries. Whereas if you just start from a presupposition that the church has full authority over these realms, you don't have to deal with that kind of anxiety. Right. But also, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of want a certain kind of anxiety when you think of the way that, um, I mean, in that case, sure, the church needs to proclaim, um, and I think there's there's there are some pulpits where pastors are um, cowards, and yet there's other places where, and I think we've seen this in just generic evangelicalism or just in the history of Christianity, um, where a lack of caution has been um, has been an overrunning of authority, a binding of conscience where it shouldn't, and and uh, you know you you've got you know, you get the hyper political churches, uh, you know left and right. Where basically you are the wing, you are the you you are the Republican Party at prayer, or you are, you know, the resistance at um, I don't know contemplative meditation, what, whatever that church does, um, and 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 the 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 entirety of the church's ethos is just caught up with um, you know the political acts and protests and or, or just the expectation that. You will you will vote this way. You will um, you will take these particular uh, not just general principle issues like okay, well, abortion, whatever, um, but like no, um, God told us to care for the earth. So obviously, the Green New Deal. Uh, if you are if you're a righteous, um, godly Christian, uh, that, that's that's you know there's there's some of that where I think okay so, some. Some caution, right? We've seen we've seen that go bad. Like we've seen the hyper political um, pastors, where you just wonder what else they're preaching besides um, specific policy uh, prescriptions. So, the, I mean, I mean, am I? Do you feel that at all, or you know, no? The other question is one of competence. When you actually look at many churches, how competent are they to speak to these specific issues? And I see a lot of churches where there is a sort of thus says the Lord to all sorts of issues, whether that's um, gun control for and against, whether it's something like um, the way that we handle certain race issues, um, certain approaches to policing and the prison, prison system, immigration, whatever it is. And when you look at many of these churches, the people leading them just aren't competent to speak to these areas. But that inability to distinguish between the way that the word of God is addressed to the conscience of the individual hearer and then those more practical questions that need to be deliberated upon in how to achieve certain good principles within the concrete life of the civil polity, those are collapsed into each other. 
And as a result, you have, whether it's on one side, churches that have a very specific requirement for the hem length of women's dresses, or on the other side, people who are saying, thus says the Lord, the issue of gun control, there's something that has gone awry there. And as a result of the church's overstepping its competence and its jurisdiction, um, and those are different things, you have, as a result, a diminishment or a, a, a compromising of the authority of the church, the true authority of the church, to speak to that area which is of most importance, an area that does have relevance for all of those other questions, but which does not speak to them as directly as it speaks to some other issues that are at the heart of the gospel. If we're talking about gun control with the same force as we're talking about the resurrection or abortion or something like that, we need to be very careful. And I think there's been a lot of confusion on those lines. I mean, Alistair, if you're going to talk about empirical realities with respect to the doctrine, then I think it Certainly in the American context, you have to be accountable to the full history of the doctrine and the way in which was used. So if you want to talk about the failure of political pronouncements uh, on the basis of the church overstepping its competence, the immediate and I think powerful rejoinder is the doctrine of the spirituality of the church uh, led to what was functionally quietism um, and complicity in American chattel slavery, an institution of brutal, brutal, horrific uh, uh, power over people that um, was as bad as our current abortion regime. Um, uh, and so I like I just the empirical question, is part of the problem here, but the, the, I'll say the flip side. So, so yeah, and that's and that's where some of the argument is whether or not, not and that that's rooted in a particular extension of that principle. Whether or not um, the spirituality of the church, when it comes to jurisdictions and competencies, then goes to okay, no, but it's it's utterly and purely spiritual message. And if we don't have a verse on, we don't have a verse on this. Well, we can't speak to it. And th there's there's a there's an argument, there's a very, I think a pretty good argument to be made that what um, Thornwell and some of the Southern articulators of the doctrine, uh, they just, they, they took it too far. They took it in, in weird directions that I think, um, yeah, had that, had that nasty godless uh, result. Um, the flip side of it is the, the opposite direction. If you're going to talk about the historical realities, the empirical historical realities of denying it, of, of, of affirming it, and then the flip side of denying it is the excesses of, uh, you know, the Inquisition, and that, that's what the, that's 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 the cha that's the state with the power of the sword, right? That's that's the that's the opposing bad end of of the doctrine in a sense you know, of the rejection of the doctrine is bishops with armies, the church abusing and using horrifically the sword. Uh, and so, and unaccountable priests, unaccountable—you know—that that's there's there's nasty history both ways. Is part of what I'm is, is why I respond. Yeah, and, and it, uh, 
it's interesting that the pragmatic argument, which I know is probably the first time I will ever have regarded Alistair's approach to something as <laughs> too pragmatic, and then maybe he's going to respond in a minute and explain why that's not the case. But the pragmatic argument seems to me to fall I mean, a couple of things. Firstly, the fact that, as you say, there's dangers on both sides, um, and practical arguments can be made in either direction. Secondly, I'm just looking around the political scene in the UK this week and at the time of speaking and probably in America as well and saying I don't think competence is necessarily in abundance in the people in the civil leaders either on a lot of prudential means to achieve good ends and I don't mean that even just facetiously I think you could look and say if that is a reason for I don't, I, I think there is a reason to say that the church you know if what we're saying in the narrow sense the spirituality of the church means that the church shouldn't use the sword it should use the word as a means of achieving you know challenging civil authority rather than being civil authority i think i think you can make that case theologically without needing to go into a practical argument but i think the practical argument would come unstuck both on the church's history of using that sort of power but also on the fact that the, the state has often not been competent either has not been prudential or prudent rather in the way that it's used the, the authority it's been given either and i don't think that's a that's something that fundamentally delegitimizes that authority. I think it simply says this can be used badly or well. So I think I kind of agree with Alistair's point, but from but for very different reasons, or perhaps for overlapping reasons. But I just don't think we can make a pragmatic argument against uh, the church using that sort of authority, um, because I think it, it cuts in too many different ways, and it would be true of the state as well. But Alistair, I may have been unhelpfully uh, reductionist of what you just said. Yeah, when we're looking at the authority of the church as it ministers the gospel, it does speak to temporal situations. If it doesn't, then it's really going wrong somehow, because the gospel does have implications for all sorts of things within our life. And if the pastor, for instance, is not able to address, um, for instance, if there are race riots in a city and pastors within that city can't speak to that from a Christian perspective, something has gone very seriously wrong. But yet, there are great dangers when we do overstep the lines, when we confuse certain things, when we lose sight of what is the primary authority that's the heart of the church's authority, and when the church starts to put the full weight of its authority on the skinny branches, as it were. Um, and I think we see that in a number of quarters where something I wrote on recently, the idea of things being biblical and all sorts of things being biblical from a certain system of biblical economics to a certain system of biblical psychology and counselling to um, certain biblical aspects of a worldview that fills in every detail that you need to believe. And you are overplaying that biblical card at that point. And I think one of the things that the spirituality of the church is supposed to do, and along with it, related doctrines like two kingdoms, it's protecting certain boundaries, boundaries that enable us to speak to these issues, but to do so in a way where we negotiate the weight of our arguments in a very careful manner. So we're not putting the full weight of our argument. I mean, I think Christians are distinct from the church in certain ways when we're talking about the jurisdiction of the church as a polity. Um, as a Christian, I'm not a leader of a, I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder. And as a result, I think I can speak to certain issues without speaking on behalf of the church, but I can speak as a Christian to these issues and I should speak as a Christian to them. The problem comes, I think, when I say, thus says the Lord to everything. 
And on the other hand, if we are not able to relate that, then we've failed in our we've failed as well. But within a modern society, a modern democratic society, one of the ways in which the um, civil polity is to be run is by the interested voices of citizens. And Christians are citizens. And in that capacity, we are to speak to the well-being and the good of the state and the civil polity. But that can be something that runs according to principles that are distinct from those that just directly follow from the gospel. And the gospel weighs into that debate, but it's not the thing that's going to settle every single question. And I'm concerned at the way um, the doctrine of the spirituality of the church has been framed as merely um, saying that the church stays out of all these debates. That's not what the spirituality of the church says. And within the 19th century, for instance, there were debates on this. It wasn't something that all the people holding to the spirituality of the church were saying that the church shouldn't speak to slavery, far from it. But yet there was a concern that we be very clear on where the competence, where the jurisdiction and where the responsibility of the church lies. And part of that responsibility is to guard the authority that has been given to us. And it's like one of the things you see online, I think, is Christians who speak, Christian pastors who start to speak to every single issue under the sun. If you're not silent, if you're silent, then you're not standing up for justice. And so you have people speaking on all these sorts of issues. And as a result, they compromise their fundamental authority, which is that of the gospel. And the spirituality of the church is in some sense designed to protect that, that gives us, informs us to speak to these other issues, but doesn't settle them for us. Matt, I think you're chomping to respond. You want to? No, I, I, I don't know that I am because I don't, I don't know how much of an argument would be constructive. I mean, you can frame the uh, problem with rejecting the spirituality of the church empirically the way Alistair has, right, and point to all the people who claim the authority of God equally for every moral or political position and look at the uh, the expansion of uh, the the industrialization of the term biblical, right, and uh, biblical accounts of things. And you can look at all of that and say, well, what we really need is this doctrine over here, the spirituality of the church. But, but then when uh, contrary... Uh, empirical accounts of the doctrine's use come up like it's uh, sanctioning. It's used to sanction, to fully sanction uh, slavery and not just to um, to uh, very nuancedly declare the limits of the authority of the pastor in denouncing slavery, right? Um, where we're willing to put the nuance on these issues, I think, is instructive. And I... And I um, and I and I don't think that we should have the argument based on um, the empirical realities as a result, one way or the other. I think I think that's just the wrong terms in which to make the case. Uh, and yet, that's how that's how um, sort of the non spirituality position that I had briefly outlined is getting construed as requiring or animating lots of bad uses of it through people who would um, claim the authority of God over taxation rates uh, and so on and so forth. Um, well, 
It's those are versions of the same. I mean, those are versions of the empirical argument you made. I, I think it's just the contrary. I mean, I'd, I'd, I don't. Yeah, I mean. No, th this is why. It, if I'm butt in, this is why I, I said 20 minutes ago. I, does anybody disagree with the argument as it as it's been stated in the way that someone like Derek presented it at the start of the conversation? Because I, I think in in its nuanced form, I don't think even Matt disagrees with it. I, at least from listening to you, I, I, I think in a sense that the question is more coming down to: Do you see more dangers of championing this doctrine or of denying this doctrine? And I think there are, and that is ultimately a practical or even a pragmatic question, isn't it? Like, I think when expressed in the language that you would find in the sort of second treatise on of discipline or the way that Derek spoke about it earlier, you'd say that's probably for a Protestant should be fairly uncontroversial because if you got if you got an Anglican who's saying, yeah, yeah, I would affirm it in the way that it is there and, and would see no problem at all with the way that my church is structured, and you've got people across the spectrum of social concerns, as, we, as we've just mentioned, also agreeing with it, then in its nuanced form, it's not controversial at all. I think that the, the controversy doesn't come from whether or not when it's expressed with every level of nuance is needed, whether you agree with it or not. The problem comes from, I suppose, when it isn't expressed with a great deal of nuance, do you see greater dangers to rejecting it or to affirming it? And that's, I think... At least as I'm hearing it, we're hearing on both sides. There's people saying there's a danger if you overstate it, and there's a danger if you understate it, and I think both are true. But in its nuanced form, it seems to me to be obviously true for a for a Protestant. It's just that the nuanced version is not always what you hear, um, and probably that. And which side of the horse you're likely to fall off will depend on all kinds of other factors, which have nothing to do with your understanding of the doctrine per se, and more to do with your cultural milieu, or which side of the Atlantic you are, or you know how you've seen it modelled, and all sorts of other things. So. I guess I'm let me let me let me ask the question this way. Let me, let me ask the question doctrinally and, and dogmatically for the room. Um, does the gospel have authority over matters external, visible matters of social peace? Does the gospel have that authority? Yes. 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 If the gospel has that authority, does the church have that authority? I think In what way is it to be exercised? Yeah, exactly. That's, I think that's the. I think that's the. I think yeah. the, the church has the authority the, of the word to communicate to speak that. I don't think the church has the authority of the. Obviously, in some ways, again, it's the where's the where's the where is it delimited? We do we have the authority of the word? Yes. Do we have the authority of the sword? No. And then I think there's a there's a question about what sort of civic means are where where on the spectrum does does civic means cross from speaking the truth and exercise? For instance, voting. I don't think people are going to think that the that's that's yeah. an extension but but similarly there are there's certain sort and this is back to sort of the questions calvin was asking about how where is the line between sort of active and passive resistance which actually maps onto this i think in interesting ways because that's also trying to work out where does the word stop and the sword start because it's not always as binary as that right and i think what we're asking for here is not not to say that the doctrine of the spirituality of the church or the two kingdoms whatever it is that this is one master key that will solve all our questions far from it what i think is being argued is that we need to think very carefully about the way that we um relate these things together as we relate the authority of the church's ministry of the word to the affairs of the um civil or political and polity and if we get that wrong I think we can see all sorts of problems that have arisen from that. On the one hand, you have extremely politicised churches. Um, on the other hand, you have churches that are um, quietists, that aren't speaking to anything, that are standing back in the face of immense injustice. 
And neither of those things are right, which is why we need to get this understanding very clear. And the spirituality of the church is not going to be sufficient to give us a full understand, a full order understanding of how the ministry of the word relates to questions such as abortion or something like that. But it's part of the picture. And maintaining that particular part of the picture alongside others, I think, is the concern of people here. And this is a doctrine that I, I think it does come under pressure from a number of different quarters. And it comes under pressure practically, but also principially as well. I think when we've been talking about in the past issues like theonomy, theonomy, um, although it talks about the different jurisdiction of church and state and the distinction between priest and king, there is something else that's missing there. And the spirituality of the church has really spoken to that concern of churches and ministers overstepping their bounds of competence, jurisdiction, and authority. Well, and then the, the, the spiritual, the word spiritual is doing a lot of work also in that the spirituality of the church in terms of the exercise is one thing, but then the extension that we're talking about, and I think this is where, Al, where Matt's pressing uh, rightly in, in, the, in, the, in the historical context is how that how that relates to um, the shrinking of the gospel's message to um, solely one of uh, a particular form of evangelism, uh, the spirituality of the church being it only has a spiritual message concerning spiritual things, not these all these other social, political, et cetera matters, which scripture does speak to eventually uh, in, in its own in its own time and in its own ways that uh, that if you if you if you if you shrink the realm of the spiritual, that's probably, I mean, that, that's, that's where some of these problems I think you run into is, is when you're too scared uh, to declare God's word on a matter that is there in the text um, because you don't want to do the, the bad conscience binding and the bad um, speaking beyond your competence. Well, then, then you've, you've got the hesitancy. So, um, I mean, that's, that's my little little thing um so al andrew no i'm assuming we need to i think we probably need to finish in a moment don't we but i, I don't want to don't want to chip in again i just but i think it's actually really really helpful and i feel like it would be in yeah it'd be interesting i think there's there's a, con, a conflation of several separate issues on there with the particularly two kingdoms theology the Christian political engagement, the difference between the individual and the institutional church and their role, and similarly the spirituality of the church, which are all overlapping with one another. Um, but I don't think I can say anything helpfully meaningful about it, so I probably shouldn't have even started speaking and just left you in it unutterable silence. <laughs> <laughs> but I think well, what you are saying there, there is there, important. There, what, we are, go for it. what we are trying to do here is tease out a number of different issues. So the difference between the church as a particular polity and the ministry of Christians and the ministry of the, the sword and how the Christians can speak to that, whether as individual citizens, whether as civil magistrates themselves, whether as um, people who are involved in um, petitioning for certain actions, whatever it is, and the church also as a prophetic ministry and a ministry that can speak forcefully to issues of injustice within society. I think all of those um, things need to be teased out a bit more than they have been within this debate. And also we need to 
beware of putting all of our weight upon one particular notion like the spirituality of the church as if it will solve everything it won't there are many different pieces that need to be put together and just to be clear i think that i have parsed all those that out very carefully in very many places and that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> oh my goodness well, we on that note be, i'm not sure we're that, that, i'm not sure we're in that much disagreement but oh man so in conclusion we've completely settled that we are uh, unsettled <laughs> within this within this little party of four of us um we're gonna have to put a pin in this and in a sense we'll we'll return to these various issues in the future i'm sure as is our way uh but for now we hope you enjoyed the show uh and thanks for listening especially if you're one of our patreon supporters uh you know helping us keep the lights on we really appreciate that uh and if you want to go ahead and support continue to support the show you can go ahead and check out our patreon page linked at mereorthodoxy.com we also mentioned a couple of articles in the show and those will be linked up at mereorthodoxy.com or if you thought this was still just a, a great sterling example of what we do here please go ahead and rate and review us at itunes help the show out a bit but for now thank you for joining us this has been mere fidelity